This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Equity Mate, episode nine, the podcast made by nobodies for everybody, where we uh, break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend to make it more investable for you guys. Welcome um, with Ren. Hi, everyone. Buddy. And um, we've got a pretty jam-packed show for you guys. Today, we're going to kick off uh, with our investment portfolio, our hypothetical investment portfolio that we haven't updated you on in a while. So we'll kick off with that and then go into some news as always, straight into stock of the week and then uh, a bit of a basics 101 um, to do with ways that you can start good habits for investing. Yeah. So what do you reckon, Ren? We'll kick it off with the portfolio. Yeah, we've been pretty quiet about the portfolio of late, but... You know, we, we've been preaching on the show that don't look at your short-term results, invest with a long time horizon, but, you know, if things are going well, it's always good to talk about it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's always fun looking at Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sometimes fun looking at your investment results. True. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a very fortunate position uh, in that all three stocks that we've chosen in the Stock of the Week have performed reasonably well since we did our purchase yeah they're all they're all up which is an unusual thing to happen yeah so <laughs> what always rosy so why don't we just quickly go over what we've done as our stock of the week so far sure we've had we've had three gateway lifestyle group then a listed investment company pm capital global opportunities fund yep. and then australian agricultural company and yep. between the three of them we're up 11%. That's, What's that in dollars? Uh, so $327.45 off uh, a cost basis or how much we invested to start with of about three grand. Nice. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, very happy with that. So Good to see um, everything up. if you want to follow our stock of the week, jump on our website, equitymates.com. We've got a live tracker up there. You can see all of our investments and how each of them are going. So we're really putting ourselves out there and fingers crossed they don't tank. Look, as we, as we always say, we, you know, we're not expert stock pickers by any stretch of the imagination. We're just doing this to show 
what consistent disciplined investing uh, can lead to. You know, if you're just yeah. investing a little bit every now and then over time, the results yeah. will accumulate. And we, we just want to show that um, and have a bit of fun with some stock picks while we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Nice. All right, moving on. News. There's a lot been going on this week. Um, we've had, you know, the budget. It's been the end of um, uh, reporting season in the US. Um, we've had the French election. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty jam-packed and a lot of stuff that we could talk about. Yep. But, uh, Ren, you want to kick off with something? Yeah, so, look, we'll always try and keep the news pretty investment-focused on this podcast. And there's no bigger time in the investing calendar than the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Damn. Now, this has been nicknamed Woodstock for Capitalists. And <laughs> what it is, is Warren Buffett's investment company, Berkshire Hathaway, every year has a weekend in Omaha, Nebraska, where Warren Buffett speaks uh, and they all, all the companies that Berkshire Hathaway owns, you know, have stands there. And it's like, it's a big festival of capitalism, as they like to say. Mm. What did you take out of this one? So my big takeaway was Warren really pushing passive investment options. Now, mm. we've spoken a little bit about passive investing on this podcast. Uh, that's mm. when you sort of buy an index fund or an exchange traded fund, which is essentially you buy into a, a fund that holds a number of shares and doesn't buy and sell those shares. So, for yeah. example, you could, you could buy into the ASX 200, which is just the 200 biggest companies listed in Australia. And yeah. regardless of how those companies are going, you just, the, the fund just holds those shares. And so Warren called out the founder of a company that established a lot of passive funds. Uh, it's called Vanguard. He spent a lot of time ripping on the fee structure of hedge fund managers and he had a quote that unlike dentists and plumbers, hedge fund managers add no value. So yeah. He's been hating them for a long yeah, time. He didn't mince words at all. He's, he's liked passive investing for a while and he said that um, when he died, he wanted 90% of the money he left for his wife to be invested in a passive fund. You know, that's, that's something that he's really pushing as he gets into his later years in his life. And mm. I mean, it's something that people who are new to the market, it's probably advice worth listening to. If mm. you want to dip your toe in, passive investing is always a good way to go about it. Yeah, just for our listeners, uh, in terms of the f when he's talking about low fees, um, he's talking about fees that are paid to the hedge fund managers as well as frictional or transactional costings and fees that are involved in that. And one of the beauty of passive investing is that in, in leaving your money in the market, you avoid having to pay continuous brokerage fees for pulling out your money and putting your money back in. And over years and years, brokerage can add up to a, quite a significant amount. So the least amount of trades you can do, in some instances, the better off that you will be. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all do, right. you, do you have any, any takeaways from, the, from it? No, I mean, I agree with all of that. I have, you know, just as yourself, love Buffett and um, starting to read a lot about this passive investing and um, because it's starting to become a big trend at the moment, almost like quinoa or kale. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to see how hedge funds are now starting to react to the idea of uh, passive investing because people are starting to pull large sums of money out of hedge funds and traditional 
forms of uh, investing in the market and putting them into uh, companies such as Vanguard. Um, and of course, that's not going to make the fund managers very happy. So, no, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic way of investing. Yeah, definitely. All right, now on to our next piece of news. The budget just uh, got handed down. Um, this year has been obviously a mixed reaction, as it is every year. A few of the big takeaways for ourselves and for you guys uh, is that in this year's budget, they have created some measures to support first home buyers because obviously at the moment it's a very political point with housing affordability in Melbourne and Sydney out of the reach of many. So one of the main things that they have done is allow up to $15,000 a year uh, in your superannuation. So essentially that means that uh, you can sacrifice pre-tax up to $15,000 of your annual income um, to a total of $30,000 into, into your superannuation account which will give you a lower tax rate than if you were to save it, you know, after tax. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this? I think it's a a, a, a negative sum game <laughs> 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 because I, I think that it it's a good way to encourage people to put money away and it does give tax benefits. But uh, I also think that it's not really answering the immediate or the, the, the most pressing issue, which is supply in in the major cities yeah definitely look I, I have a couple of thoughts on it the the fir- the first one is that you're right it doesn't it doesn't address supply but what's more uh, giving first home buyers these tax advantages is only going to incrementally drive up the price that um, first home buyers are able to pay so yeah. look that in itself doesn't address house prices per se but in some ways it levels the playing field for first home buyers. Yeah. Um, the, the other interesting thing to think about is that the, the way people super is invested when they're young, which most first home buyers are, is that mm. it's invested quite aggressively. So mm. because we're young and we've got a long time horizon, there's a mm. much higher tolerance for risk. Mm. And so it's an interesting dilemma because as a super fund who's investing for someone who's, you know, in their early 30s, you are able to take risks because you yeah. know there's a lot of time to recuperate that if you lose a bit of capital um, and there's a lot of upside there. But as a first home buyer and when you're talking about someone's deposit on their house, your focus should really be on capital preservation, which is yeah. investing to not lose the money that you have. Yeah, you um, don't want to be saving 15000 of your income up to and then the market crashes and you lose 60% of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's an, it's, it's an interesting dilemma and like there are some obvious fixes for that. Uh, super funds can offer a separate investment option for your house deposit fund. Look, it's just something to be mindful of as um, young people who are looking to buy a first house and looking to take advantage of this budget me- measure. Just look at how your super fund invests, uh, look mm. at their um, risk profile and just, you know, can consider that when you're doing it. Mm. Another thing that was um, interesting was that the government have introduced restrictions on foreign investors, which has also been driving the price up, a lot of um, money from overseas coming in and purchasing houses. And in some instances, they're purchasing property for uh, investment and then they're not even living in it. Yeah. Um, they're or, just putting it there to renting it. sit money or even renting it. Yeah. So the government have come in and said that we will tax on 
um, houses that are left empty. I think it's a five thousand dollar tax. Now, personally, I think I think this is nowhere near enough for it to even make us a, a solid impact. Five thousand dollars for someone who's bought a property in Vaucluse for twelve million is pocket change. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, you're going to get that five thousand dollars back on capital growth more like most likely. I I don't think it's enough to deter people from buying houses and sitting it. I think it could have been a lot harsher or they could have done something else to discourage. I don't think it's a continuous tax. I think it's just a one-off payment. Um, if it was a continuous year on year, then that I think would have been a bit better. But No, I, I uh, think it is I think it is continuous. I, it is year on year? Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't really make sense if it wasn't year on year. Maybe, but, yeah. Yeah, I actually I actually don't know. We should, we yeah, should have, probably should have done more research. <laughs> but look, I I take your point that it's not a whole lot, but the the important thing is for some foreign investors, it might change the incentives because, you know, if it's going to cost, say, $5,000 a year to pay this fine, essentially, or it will cost a couple of grand to just engage a property manager and let them deal with renting it and all that, then that might, that incentive structure might change and they might... Uh, go to the effort uh, and get the property manager in to do it, whereas before it wasn't worth the effort. But look, I, I, I think that any, any move in the direction of ensuring that property investors are still allowing people into the homes that they own um, to rent them is a good thing and hopefully it's the start of a real concerted push by the government. Definitely. Okay, cool. So... A bit of a fun news story to finish it off is to do with Apple. And we've mentioned before that they have a huge amount of cash sitting offshore, $220 billion of cash uh, that they are waiting to repatriate back into the United States, which Donald Trump's hoped that he can achieve. And Ren, I know you enjoy talking about this. So what's what's the story we've got here? So Donald Trump in his campaign was was constantly talking about this money that a lot of companies have parked overseas. Apple is leading the charge with a quarter of a trillion dollars <laughs> parked overseas. And essentially, the reason that it's parked overseas is because American multinationals get taxed on their overseas profit when they bring that money back into America. And the corporate tax rate in America is something like 35%. So for Apple... It doesn't make sense to bring that money back into America and have to pay 35% tax on it. Why don't they just keep it overseas? Uh, and then what they've been doing in America is raising debt um, and just letting this cash pile build overseas. Now, the Donald wants to get American companies to bring that money back in the hope of uh, creating some American jobs out of it. And so what he's offering is a one-time tax holiday of a 10% tax rate if they bring their money back. And so Apple has, I think it's these days, like $255 billion overseas. So if they bring that back, they're going to have a very nice chunk of change to make some investments with. Mm. So what's the story? So Citigroup have bought into that hype a little bit and put nice. together a list of seven companies that Apple might try and buy. Oh. Now, look, no, no one realistically thinks that uh, this is what Tim Cook is thinking of actually buying, but it's nice to imagine, and some of them actually do make a little bit of sense. 
What are they? Um, so the first one, which everyone has heard of, is Netflix. Now, just to give you an idea of how big Apple is, Netflix market cap. So if you bought every single one of their shares, uh, shares of their company at the market price right now, it's $67 billion. So Apple could buy Netflix and still have a, about $150 billion in cash left over. Um, wow. Now, the reason Netflix makes sense is because Apple's been making a push into online streaming um, and haven't seen a lot of success thus far. Mm. Some of the other ones, Tesla, Elon mm-hmm. Musk's car company, because yeah. uh, Apple also are trying to make a push into self-driving cars. Tesla's market cap is $52 billion. So hypothetically, buy Apple, four Teslas. Yeah, Apple could buy Tesla and Netflix and still have a lot of money left over. Mm. And the last one that I thought was quite interesting was Disney. Now, Disney are a huge company when you look at mm. everything they own. Like mm. Obviously, the, the main Disney brands, but then also Pixar, also ESPN, a bunch of other cable channels. They are a huge media conglomerate. And yet their market cap, $176 billion. Mm, So Apple could pay cash and have some left over. <laughs> they could pay cash and buy a Tesla. Yeah, yeah, they could. Yeah. So, and I mean, look, no one actually reckons that Apple will buy Disney. Um, and if they were going to buy Disney, Disney shareholders would demand a huge premium. But huge. look, it just, it just shows how big Apple is. It's mm, the biggest mm-hmm. listed company in the world. It's competing with the government-owned Saudi oil company to actually be the biggest company in the world, but it is just huge. Huge. (laughs) All right, well, that brings us to Stock of the Week. So this week's Stock of the Week is a company called Afterpay, a small Australian company that floated on the Australian Stock Exchange, so became publicly listed in uh, around March 2016, and it floated for $1, so you could have purchased uh, stocks at $1 and I think it's now trading at around $2.55 after hitting some highs of about $3. So it's had some pretty good growth in the last, uh, what, just over 12 months. It's a small Australian company uh, that is in the online payments space. Um, It was founded in 2014 and it is one of Australia's leading retailers retail payments innovators all right so what do what do afterpay do well essentially they are an, an e-commerce business that facilitates payment transactions between merchants and their end customers uh, so essentially it's a platform that links up with say a, a business such as maya or the iconic and they provide a service for customers to pay for their products without having to pay for their products. What, what Afterpay Can... do is they offer a buy now, receive now, but pay later service that essentially doesn't require end-to-end or that doesn't require the customer to enter into any sort of um, loan or pay any upfront fees. So, so simply pay. it's it's lay-by. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. online labor. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. what you're not, you're not paying any extra for the product. You're not engaging any loan or taking on any credit. But the difference between this and labor is that you get the product right now. Labor, you don't get the product until you finish off paying it. 
Um, whereas this is you get the product sent to your door, you, you get it exactly as if you had paid for it in full, but you um, you can engage in a, I think it's usually four payments of X amount of dollars. Yeah. Um, so that's one side. The second side is that you can also get an Afterpay app on your phone and to all of the retailers and merchants, not necessarily uh, just fashion, but they've hooked up with a Telstra and a few of the banks as well. You can get an app and go into these stores and you can say, walk in and say, all right, I want to spend $100 on clothes. You then go into your app and tell Afterpay that you want to spend $100. It will give you a barcode to the value of $100 and then you can use that barcode at the cash register to pay for your items and then Afterpay will work out how many payments from there on in you need to make back to them in order to pay off that that item of clothing or TV or, or whatever it may be. Okay, great. So I guess the big question is, if they don't charge um, people using, like if they don't charge consumers fees to pay in installments, how do they make their money? So they've got two forms of making money. Well, the main form is the merchant fee. And then I think they take a small percentage of the sale fee as well. So just like if a merchant's using an FPOS facility, they pay per transaction um, to use that FPOS facility. That's the same situation here. And also Afterpay skim a bit of the transaction percentage as well. So obviously the higher the transaction, the higher the amount of money that they can skim from that. Yeah, so that's how they make their money. And to give you an indication of how many retailers they've got signed up at the moment, they've got 3,700 merchants that are transacting live with them at the moment. And that's had some significant growth um, since they last posted some figures. And 15% of their processing is online retail fashion. Um, so it's a pretty big market for them uh, if you think about iconic and they've teamed up with maya and tarot cash for example factory rockman's um, they've got a huge list online of all their retailers and as retailers are now having to become more online <laughs> um, this is a very good opportunity for afterpay to start consolidating their position in the australian market i think and yeah, I think it's a very good idea. What I like about it is that it encourages people to buy more. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but I think that... Well, it's a good thing for Afterpay. It's a good thing for Afterpay. It's a good thing for the, re, the, the merchants as well and the retailers. But yeah, but yeah it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think uh, it's potentially a bit of a, a stab in the dark. I recognize that there are a number of factors that could prevent it from being as big as I think it could be. But I think one of the things I like about it is that there hasn't been anything specifically like this on the market or as definitely as visible as it is now with leading online retailers. And I know that you can do similar things potentially in, in, in a similar way through payment service such as PayPal. But uh, this one I like the way that they appear online. I like the retailers that they are partnering with. I like how they make it seem so easy to do four installments at $50 rather than the psychological, I have to pay 200 now. I think that the yeah. merchants themselves are, 
are going to benefit a lot from this. So yeah, and look, it makes sense. They they talk about you know the big shifts in the labor market and you know the sort of gig economy that we're in nowadays, where a lot of people have casual jobs and then they supplement it with things like Uber and TaskRabbit. It's it's more and more likely that you're going to be paid casual wages and in in those cases it's great to have a service where you can pay small amounts in installments it fits more with weekly or fortnightly casual wage rather than yeah. you know getting a monthly paycheck every month and being able to make big online purchases yeah that's true so yeah look i i like it my my big reservation is if afterpay becomes a big hit in Australia, what's to stop Apple Pay or PayPal seeing that they're doing it well and offering a similar service? Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of companies where you probably could have made a similar argument that have done quite well for themselves. So, yeah, look, I don't have a specific reason that Apple Pay or Amazon aren't going to come and do something just like this. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I just think that there is value in them being in the market at this time yeah. and getting their name out there and foot in the door yeah. um, and getting as many customers and merchants as they do already is is definitely a big step forward because the cost of acquiring customers is a metric that a lot of these big tech companies look at and it's more often than not a a better option for bigger companies to actually just buy these companies and all the customers and and merchants that come with them rather than try and create a platform that is similar in in a new market and and compete and compete that way so fingers crossed they do well (laughs) i think (laughs) gut, gut, gut feeling is that they will be bought out at some stage by one of the bigger players, um, which would be a good thing for those who invest. But yeah, in terms of IP and, and that sort of stuff, I don't think there is anything that is severely preventing the big players from coming into the market. Yeah. And, All right. And... We'll, we'll add that to our uh, hypothetical portfolio. Yeah, um, $2.55. Yeah, okay. So we'll put that up. Uh, we'll put a little write-up summarizing some of our thoughts. Everyone should jump onto Equity Mates and check it out. As we were saying before, the ones we've picked so far for Stock of the Week have done okay. So it's definitely worth you know checking back every now and then and seeing how it's going mm. and thinking about you know how you can apply the lessons through that fund every now and then, just saving a bit and putting a bit into the market, how that can grow over time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That leads us nicely into our <laughs> Basics 101. Yeah, great little segue. I'm going to keep this pretty short uh, because there's not much to harp on about, but the lesson is very important. And that is that there's a lot of value in consistency and time when it comes to putting away money for investing. Now, putting something away every pay that you get, um, be it fortnightly, monthly, weekly, or, or even inconsistently, if you're at uni and you're working the three-day job or whatever it is, whenever you get a pay, I think it's very important that you can split that pay up and dedicate a proportion of it towards saving and investing. Um, a lot of people often get scared about, oh, you know, I need $1,000 or I need $3,000 to start investing and then they get out their calculator and work out how long it's going to take them to save $3,000 if they're putting away $20 a week. And it's daunting when it appears that, you know, it's going to take them two years to save $3,000 at $20 a week. And so they just completely give up on it. And I think that's a, a really um, poor way of, of looking at how to tackle um, saving for your first investment and and consistently saving from there on in. Yeah, the other thing is even if you decide you're going to commit to that savings goal, you know, you might get part of the way there, have a big weekend and blow a lot of that cash that's just been sitting in your bank account as you try and save up. Exactly, (laughs) which has um, happened. Before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you might go on an afterpay binge and buy a whole lot of stuff <laughs> online that you then have to pay off. So yeah, it's always dangerous just to uh, just to have cash sitting around in your bank account. Yeah, uh, and that's where the benefits of just continuously building your portfolio and uh, growing it over time uh, can really pay dividends. Yeah, literally. (laughs) So there's three things that I want to mention and uh, your input as well, uh, Ren, on on what you sort of do from your end. But I want to talk about very briefly what I do with my pay, some habits in terms of setting goals and then what options are out there for you to get into the market that don't require minimum $500 or saving up to 1000 So firstly, In terms of pay allocation, as I said before, it's really important that you do split your pay up. I would certainly, I personally have a separate account, completely separate to uh, my card account, so I can't blow it at the pub. And uh, I have a set percentage of my pay that I put towards investing. And I do that every time I get paid and I don't touch it until I get to my um, allocation and then I put it straight into the share market. Or What's your magic number? How much do you save before you put it into the market? So that is changing over time. I used to save up to, well, obviously the minimum 500, sorry, up to 1,000. Usually once I would hit 1,000, I would just put that in the market. Now, that didn't mean I would be buying different shares every time. I'm a strong believer of cost-priced averaging, which is buying the same shares, obviously just at different prices, which in the long run can give you benefit. So yeah, I would so, initially. So just aim. to just to explain that to our listeners, you know, if a uh, stock stock prices move, obviously, and if you're buying a thousand dollars of a share, you know, every three months, say, and yeah. over a year you buy it at, you know, a dollar, a dollar fifty, and then it drops to fifty cents, and then a dollar again. 
That yep. means even though you had paid a dollar fifty for it at one point, and you know you got a bargain at fifty cents. At the end of the day, your your average price across the whole year is a dollar, and so exactly. it's a good way of averaging out the highs and lows of the market as you buy more and more of the stock. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that later on. So to give you an idea of how I allocate my pay, I roughly split it into thirds. Obviously, I've set myself a budget and I know how much I need to spend each week on the necessities. So bills and food and all that sort of stuff, allocate that. I know how much I need to save and I know how much like my living costs are with rent and that sort of stuff. And that just happens to come out at about a third of my pay, roughly, give or take here or there. Um, And obviously, if you put a third away for savings, that can be split half savings for holiday. But obviously, I encourage you to really put it into um, at least some into the stocks as well. So that's the first thing. And that leads into habit and consistency, doing it every pay into an account that you can't touch or that has high interest, um, that's not related to your card is is a good way for you to start understanding the value of time because before you know it, six, six months will go by, a year will go by and you'll have you know quite a considerable sum in there for really no effort. It's also really important, I think, to have a goal that you are trying to achieve. So say, for example, a great goal would be saying, I need $500 to invest in the stocks first time. Try and save for that without breaking your, your, your bank and aim for that and just try and stick to that by being consistent and i think that working towards that goal will give you a sense of you know it, it's it feels good working towards a goal and it's not going to be as daunting than taking 500 out straight from your pay and then not being able to live for the rest of the fortnight how, how do you do yours ren how do you split yours so unlike you i am terrible at saving and budgeting <laughs> So I I would love to be able to stick to a, a third rule, um, but unfortunately I can't. So what I do, I set up a um, saving account yeah. with, with my bank yeah. and I trans... So whenever I get paid, I try and transfer into that. Um, yeah. The problem is it's too easy to transfer out of that. But look, there are definitely resources out there that can help you. So one of them that I quite like is it's called it's an app called Pocketbook, and what yeah. it does is you can link it with your bank account, and it will um, look at all the transactions that are going on your spending uh, uh, account, and it will you know sort of categorize them, and it will give you some insight into it. It breaks down how much you're spending, what you're spending it on, and when when you know you see you've spent like forty percent of the money you had this month on you know, like food and booze or, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know that, all right, maybe you need to just call it a bit. So it's a good way of really visualizing your uh, your spending and your saving and you can put, you know, your goals in the app. So I, yeah, I, like that. I, I have like a saving goal and um, I put all my bills and when my rent's due and when I get paid and it sort of calculates it all for me. So look, it's nice. it's by no means the only one. Like I'm sure there are hundreds out there on the App Store and the Google Play Store. So do a bit yeah. of research, but Pocketbook works well for me. Um, I, I like that because uh, it's still teaching the principles of um, allocating your money and that you're putting in a goal and, and, and how much you need for X, Y, and Z. And it's just doing the creation of the figures that need to come out the other end for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's also, I like it because it's giving you an understanding of where you're spending your money. The worst thing that as we started this is that you go out to the pub or 
go on a holiday for the weekend and then blow it all and you think, oh man, I'm back to square one. If you can recognize where your money's going yeah. and tw- tweak it, then you're halfway there. Oh, I mean, we've all we've all had the thought like, where, where did that paycheck go? Like I only got yeah. paid, you know, three days ago or a week ago and somehow I've blown a lot of it. This mm. way at least you can see, you know, like the four Ubers I took, that, that was a hundred bucks and like, oh, my phone bill came and that was another hundred bucks. It's a good way of just keeping track because no mm. one likes scrolling through bank statements so you know getting, right. a, getting a nice little pie chart changes it up a bit yeah um, nice then look when i when i do save my my general rule is i try and pay only one percent brokerage for my investment um so i now have a cmc account which pay yep. which charges um eight dollars brokerage yeah. So that means I want to invest at least eight hundred dollars at the t- at a time, just because if you're paying one percent brokerage, then the stock has to appreciate or go up in price one percent just for you to get back to even. So you know if you're if you're doing five hundred dollar hits, and let's say you're paying fifty dollars brokerage, that's ten percent of your investment, and so that means the stock has to rise ten percent just for you to break even so i yeah that that's my general rule obviously different people have different rules but that's something that i try to stick to yeah interesting it's a that's a good point and definitely something that you probably thought about a bit after you've had a bit of experience with investing as well and you, you came to understand that brokerage as a percentage does actually have an impact on how much uh, profit you can make later on down the track yeah, but look don't don't get scared off by that um, no you know, definitely Matt's, not like no. being in it is better than being not. yeah definitely um and yeah. over the long term one percent isn't going to make you lose any sleep at night no be, be in the market so secondly i think it's also um, important to note that having a high interest account is very important for these sorts of things for example I know uh, IGA, not IGA, ING. <laughs> <laughs> ING have a good uh, high interest account. I think it's paying about three, three and a half percent at the moment. So having your money in there working for you, even though you might be getting small amounts of money, it all adds up in the end. Yeah. Um, and most so most banks have, you know, like goal saver accounts or the equivalent where if you put X amount of money in and don't take any money out, then you get bonus interest or bonus payments. Look, Just look at your bank and look for stuff like that because they're out yeah. there. Yeah. And definitely. And look, what we're saying is nothing new. This is in like every single fi- personal finance book and investment yeah. <laughs> you can talk about. But I, I think it's just important that you just got to do it. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, it, There's a reason it's in every personal finance book. It's a good rule and it works. Yeah, it yeah. works. It works, yeah, without fail. And you'll be surprised how quickly life goes by how quickly your weeks go by and you forget all of a sudden about the money that's going into these accounts and all of a sudden you flick over and that you know if you were to put $50 a week away you'd have $2600 by the end of the year to invest and I, i'm sure if you said to someone flat out try and save $2600 you know they'd be like oh come on mate like i don't have the ability to do so or whatever yeah, but yeah, yeah. What it takes is a small amount each week so the other thing is there are alternatives to getting into the market without having to save large chunks of money and they're all coming through you know, fintech at the moment. Some great apps that are available. I'm a, a big fan of an app called Acorns. Now, this app allows you to get into the market with as little as $5. I like this app for a number of reasons. One, because it teaches the discipline of 
well, not, not necessarily the discipline, but it gives you a very good idea of compound interest and consistency in putting um, money away. Essentially, what Acorns does is you attach your cards and bank accounts to it, and then every time that you do a transaction, it will round up that transaction to the nearest dollar and take that rounding and put it into the share market. So, for example, I buy a coffee for $3.50. It will round up to $4, and it will take $0.50 cents out of my account and put it into the stock market. Now, the monthly fees on this are quite high as a relative proportion to how much you would be putting in if you were just relying on the, the cents that were going in because it literally is cents. You might be putting in five, you know, five, 10, 15, $20 a week or a month, but it is literally cents. I think though it's great if you combine that feature of the app with adding in your own money. So what it allows you to do is you can put in a re- either a recurring amount of money and it will withdraw that money from your account either monthly, fortnightly or weekly. Um, you can set that amount, whatever you like, as, as little as $5 or you can put in lump sums as well and use it essentially as a trading, as a saving account keeping in mind that the money in there is invested in the stocks, so it is exposed and can fluctuate. It, it's not as safe as putting it into a bank account, but the returns I'm getting on it at the moment are far greater than what I am get, would be getting from uh, interest in a bank account. Yeah. I personally am putting in my own money each week as well, and I think having it set for a, a consistent amount teaches a really good habit, and as I said, before you know it, you've got hundreds and hundreds of dollars in there, which you can then take and invest yourself in the market. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Look, so they, they, charge a, they charge a dollar a month. So if you're yeah. just rounding up your coffee a couple of times a week and say, you know, they're investing $5 a month, then, you know, it's 20% of your investment in yeah. fees. So yeah. then, then the maths just doesn't work. But mm. if you're doing what you're doing and using it as a sort of weekly or, you know, whenever you get paid, like uh, investment slash savings mechanism yeah. as well, as yeah. well as your spare change, that's yeah. what, that's when the dollar a month fee starts to make sense and it's a yeah. good, cheap way of getting into the market without a lot of capital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're definitely right. If you did it without putting money in, it's, it's an expensive way of getting access to the market. It also allows you to have a fiddle around with... Um, portfolio weightings so you can have a look at what an aggressive portfolio looks like or a conservative portfolio and they do it in a nice fancy way and a modern look on the phone and you can flick around on the train and all that sort of stuff so <laughs> it's great i i'm i i, I like it yeah uh, and i think if yeah if, if people can do it in the right way it teaches some great habits i also think that there are uh, i also like two other apps stake and um first step and they're both Stake in particular is a micro investing app and what it allows you to do is similar to Acorns, use small amounts of money to invest in parts of, of stocks. So say for example, you want to buy Google, it's currently you know over 1200 Australian dollars. That's way too expensive for someone like who's just starting out. Stake allows you to buy a proportion of a stock of Apple. So you can pay ten dollars, for example, and you'll get the equivalent of a ten. You'll get a share of an Apple Apple stock. Mm. So it's just a good example of another way that you don't have to save up the minimum five hundred to get um, to get access. With those ones, though, so obviously part of owning a share is is getting the capital appreciation, so that growing in price. 
yeah. and you being able to sell it for more than you bought it. Yeah. Um, with apps like that, though, what happens with dividends and stuff like that? I think it's still proportionate because... Oh, right. Okay. So if you because, own 1% of a stock, you get 1% of a dividend, essentially. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Because I have a feeling what happens is that you're, you're going through this company which owns the stock. So they're, they're just essentially... They will cop it. They'll cop it. They're just a broker. They're like, well, they're like a holding company for millions yeah. of micro-investors. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. And they, okay. they, they, they will distribute... Um, any dividends accordingly to you know whatever percentage of the of the stock you hold yeah, yeah. Um, okay. so just another it, it doesn't encourage you, you to put money away or anything like that but it, it, it's a way in which you can access the market without needing um, hundreds and hundreds of dollars you don't have to save that minimum 500 you can get in straight away obviously I encourage everyone to look at the terms and conditions and the fees with these sort of things because the smaller these companies are the more likely the fees are on the higher side, but a great way to get international exposure and to not have to spend huge amounts. You can just have a play around with it at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And there's heaps of apps like that. You know, some of the other ones out there like Robinhood, Clink, like there's a bunch. So, mm. you know, do your research, see, see what you like. Mm. It's a good way to dip the toe in the market. Yeah, well, that's it. Put something away consistently, get into the habit of doing it. Time is on your side. That's the main thing. Be patient and you will get to the, where you want to be. Yeah. Set, a, set a goal. Set up an account that's high interest and that you can isn't attached to a card that you go and buy clothes or go to the pub with yeah. uh, and, and just get in there. Before you know it, you'll realize how easy it is and uh, you won't look back. So that's that for the habits for continuous investing. Yeah, we might do a blog post on it. Yeah, definitely. All right, well... That brings us to the end of episode nine of Equity Mates. We're, yeah. we're ripping through the episodes. We're almost at double <laughs> really? digits. Oh, um, good. I have to have a party. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sticking with us. Um, and make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, tell your friends about us, mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. us really loud while you're driving with your windows down. <laughs> uh, spread the word because um, you know, the more people we can... Uh, have engaging with the show and you know we can help on their investing journeys you know it makes it worthwhile for us yeah yeah so uh thanks for listening and until next time equity out equity out (laughs) equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned this is general advice only please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation equity mates Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.